Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Plans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, and I'll be your host today. And I hope that if you are one of my stateside United States listeners, that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. And if you're not in the United States and listening to this, which I know there are a few of you out there, then I hope that whatever you were doing this last weekend was awesome. I am excited to share some of my observations today about the origins of the Scottish clans, as you probably noticed by the title of the episode. Uh, I, I, here's, here's the background behind what I want to share with you today. There are, well, before I get too far into that, let me not get ahead of myself here. I mentioned something in previous lessons I want to, or episodes, that I want to go back and, and make sure that I've done right by a few people. I mentioned Scottish professors that had helped me out during my work on my master's thesis, which was on the Scottish clans, and and I want to make sure that uh, I do right by them. I'd mentioned three names, Alison Cathcart, Martin McGregor, and Agnes McKinnick. Sorry if I just butchered your name, Professor McKinnick. I, he, he, he always... Um, when he writes an article, he always signs it as by. He doesn't. He doesn't put it in the English version of it, Angus Mackenzie. He always puts it in the Gaelic version because that's the way he puts it. I'm assuming that's the way he wants to be referred to. Um, I just sometimes trip over. Anyway, these three professors. I just I, at the time I didn't have it ready. It was not part of my prepared material to share with you, and so like I couldn't. I I I thought I could remember which universities they were with. So. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell you exactly who they are and which organizations they're a part of and what their positions there are. That I'll lead off with Dr. Martin McGregor. He's a senior lecturer in Scottish history at the University of Glasgow. I also have Dr. Agnes McKinnick, lecturer in Celtic history, both Celtic and, and Gaelic at the University of Glasgow, and Dr. Alison Cathcart, who's a senior lecturer in history at the University of Strathclyde. There, hopefully, and hopefully those are all current positions. That's what I found as I, as I Googled their names. And, um, and I also want to point out, though, that so what they did, I reached out to them because I was doing it all online and I didn't have these nice big libraries to go to on universities. And I want to know what resources are out there. And so they really were a huge help. They were really cool about it. And they, they hooked me up with some sources to go to. So, but I just want to point out that none of the and I think I I think I have posted my my master's thesis on the Scottish clans Facebook page if anybody wanted to read it it's a comparison and contrast between the Highland clans and the border clans between 1300 ish and 1600 ish in the realm of warfare so none of my conclusions in there did I you know if I cite them and I specifically quote them then that's their material but as far as my own conclusions and things that I, I bring to it, they if there's any flaws in there, I have they have no part in the flaws. I just want to make sure that I do right by them. Okay, so now that I've made sure I've got that taken care of, and I've I've got some other things to address from from previous episodes too, but I'll do that at the end of the of the podcast of the of this episode if I have time. Now, so I've been working on some some projects. And this will tell you the depth of my nerdiness, but hopefully you guys can benefit by it somehow. I was, I, I, these are projects that are still ongoing. There's two projects, and, and what I'm, the episode today is I'm going to share some of the things that I've learned 
in the process of working on these projects. All right, so, well, there's really three projects. You'd be amazed at what you can do with the maps on Google Maps. And after I completed my, my, my Scottish clans, my, my master's thesis, I was, still had the Scottish clans on the mind, and I still do, you can tell. So I got on Google Maps, and I started to drop pins in the different locations where the clans had their headquarters. And I was usually shooting for the time period of, you know, 1400s, 1500s. Maybe, maybe sometimes in the 1600s, but anyway, just so I could kind of get a, a better, you know, I have, I have, they make clan maps that you can look at a, at a glance at where the, how the different clans were distributed throughout Scotland, but they, all they show that the one I have is all it shows is territory or other maps will just have a big name over a certain geographical area. And it, and it really is hard to pin down exact boundaries, especially because it fluctuated over time. But anyway, I was just looking for the headquarters. Where was each, each clan out of? Where was their primary? Even though a lot of clans had more than one castle or the chiefs had more than one residence, I was just going, okay, where's the, the main place there? And I was just dropping a pin there, and so I had this map of Scotland with these pins all over it. And then I thought, hmm, what if I did the same thing with the Irish clans? Because I, I, I am interested in there. And... And I, I want to tell you one source that you can, there's somebody, Catherine Swift, I believe is her name. And once again, that's not prepared. That was just off the top of my head. Um, sh- she's got some, some material that I found useful in defining how the Irish clans were organized and operated and all that. Anyway, so I started to get into the Irish clans. I started to make a map of them too. And I started to notice certain things. And I also noticed, so between doing the Scottish one and the Irish one, I started to see certain trends and patterns um, about the origin of these different clans. And, and I'm speaking specifically the, about the clans as we would recognize them today. Because in, in one of my first few episodes, I went back on the ethnic origins of the different clans and these earlier kindreds and, and political organizations. But what I... I want to focus more today on on the surnames that you would recognize, and and where how where they date back to. <coughs> Excuse me. So as as I and I so I did this with the, this map with the Scottish clans. I did it with the Irish clans, and on the Scottish side of it, I wanted to even more pinpoint origins and work on origins. So I got a, an Excel spreadsheet, and I. I listed the clans out in the left in the left hand column, and in the middle column I would have the the person who that clan claims as a founder, and in the right column I'd claim I'd mark down like exactly or as close as I could get what time period this person lived in, and so I'm seeing as I do this I can see the different trends of these different clans and where their origins come out of, and once again these are just trends. These are not hard and fast rules, but I wanted to go over to today what I've noticed about the origins of these different clans, especially how they compare with each other in their, the, the clans from, you know, a Norman background versus the clans from a Gallic background versus, and even with bringing in the Irish clans, like I mentioned earlier. So, so let me just start telling you some of the things that I've noticed. Out of, so within Scotland, you have clans that come from the, a native Gallic background. You have clans that come from some, uh, just a few clans that it's 
it from everything that we can get, and it's the records aren't perfect, and they don't lay it out exactly how would be ideal. But some of the clans look like they come from a more Pictish background. Now, one of those off the top of my head are the Brodies. The Brodies have been this is so they their territory is east of Inverness along the southern coast of the Murray Firth, and they have been in there as long as anybody, as long as any kind of records that anybody has, as far as they go back, they've been, had a presence there. And they, most of the sources that I've looked at, they assume that the Brodies descend from a, an influential Pictish kindred. So there you have it. There's, then there's none of them agree on the name Brody and where that comes from. There's like four or five different theories out there, but, and I'm not going to go into that, but so you have, a few clans that, from the, from the best we can tell, they probably come from a Pictish kindred, even if their name itself is not necessarily Pictish in, in linguistic origin. So you have native Gallic clans, you have some Pictish. The clans that probably arose out of the Britons of Strathclyde, and some of those might be the Galbraiths and the Wallaces, that both of their linguistic origin of their names indicate a basically a Welshman or a, or a Briton. So you have the native Britons of Strathclyde in the, in the western or southwestern Scotland. You have clans that probably arise from a, from a Anglo-Saxon background, and those are found mostly in the southeast of Scotland. You have Normans, the clans that come from a Norman background, and they're found all over Scotland. And then you have clans that come from more of a, a Norse background. Those are found in the Hebrides Islands off of the west coast of Scotland, and also in the very far north of Scotland. My last episode was between about the Guns and the Keiths. The Guns claim a Norse origin. And, and then that part of Scotland is where you're likely to find more of those kindreds. So, so those are the different backgrounds there. The, uh, the Irish are, don't have quite the same variety, but they do have native Gaelic, which is a bigger p- proportion of their clans that come from a native Gaelic, uh, Gaelic background. And if, if, I'm, if I'm correct, my understanding is in Scotland, you're going to hear Gaelic. In Ireland, you'll hear Gaelic when referring to the language or, or just Irish. But um, the, the clans that in Ireland come from a native Gaelic background are, are much more, make up much, a much larger portion of those kindreds. But the Irish also have clans that descend from Vikings and Normans. And, you know, the, the difference between Vikings and Normans is it huge? Uh, you know, you could debate that, really. The The Normans were just Vikings who had settled in northern France, adopted French language and customs, married in with the local gals, and uh, a few generations later stormed England. So, yeah. It, but but so but your your names that come from the Viking the Viking the Viking ancestors and the, and these Vikings that gave rise to further kindreds that became prominent, those, those, the names of those kindreds will be of a Scandinavian origin versus the Norman clans will be of a, more of a French origin. Especially in Ireland, you see the widespread use of the prefix Fitz, like Fitzgerald or Fitzpatrick, which, anyway, so the, the Fitz is, it comes from the Fitz, son of in French, and so you'll you'll see that as a quite a common feature. Anyway, so here's what I noticed about the clans that come from all these different backgrounds. It seems like 
the clans that come from a native Gaelic Irish background in in Ireland are the oldest, meaning these clans seem to be able to be traceable back farther than than the other kindreds. And once again, I'm just talking trends. So you have, and I, and I, for for everything I've got for you today, I thought of a few examples. So for the, for an example for the native Gaelic Irish and, and how far back you can see them go. You, uh, my first example, I'll use the O'Neill clan. The O'Neills have a lot of different branches, but, and they're broken to Northern O'Neill and Southern O'Neill. And w- if you look this up and you're studying this, uh, you'll see the a different prefix. And I'm not going to go into. I've, I have actually learned a little bit about the the uh, the formation of these different prefixes before the names. So you'll notice it in Irish clans. You'll they use the O a lot more than the Scottish ones, and the Irish actually do also use the Mac quite a bit too. But you'll see both in Ireland, whereas in Scotland you'll rarely see the O. Now maybe some some exceptions to that in Scotland you'll have the O'Brolkin stoneworking kindred in the in the western in the Hebrides. You'll have the O'Biolan that who who were the original earls of Ross and you'll have the Odunias who the Campbells married into and eventually used that as a as a Gallic name for themselves the the Odunias. So those are those are three examples of the O being used and and it's interesting that none of them are common in Scotland or used, you don't see the names of those kindreds pop up very much anymore. But in Ireland, it's very common. So you have the O'Neill clan, the northern, the southern. We usually associate O'Neills with the north, with northern Ireland. And I, I'm not going to go into the deep background, and this is not meant to be a, a deep exploration of the O'Neill clan, but suffice it to say that they're northern Irish, they were the leading kindred of a larger group called Canal Nolan or Nogan, or it's interesting whether you pronounce that G or not in the middle, but Canal Nolan, or the, or the kindred of Owen. Um, even though they claim descent from Neil of the Nine Hostages, the Neil they actually take their name from was Neil Glendiv, a 10th century king of Alech, or the, and Alech was just another name for the northern. O'Neill, and the, with the O that you'll when when you look this up you'll see instead of O you'll see U I and the I's got an accent mark over it and there's probably an exact name for that and I don't know it, but you'll see the accent mark over the I, and you, that's E you pronounce that E so like the kindred of Ivar E Ivar, the kindred of Neil as in the descendants of Neil Glendiv, you would have E Nail. Um, already we have this kindred back. So, like I said, Neil Glendiv was a 10th century king, so 900s. So we have this, 900s is already farther back than most Scottish clans. And what's more is members of Canal Nolan, the O'Neills, claim descent from an older kindred that possibly reaches back to the 400s. And this claim, now a lot of you may be thinking, oh, 400s, yeah, right. I'm sure that they've got it exactly traced that far back. It, it, they do have... There is some substance to that claim as they were such a high-profile clan, often occupying the throne of the High King of of Ireland. rather. The kindred of each High King was recorded, so we can track Neil of the Nine... We can track this kindred back to Neil of the Nine Hostages. Uh, 
if the records, and by records I mean like annals of the four masters, some of those other older Irish annals are accurate, we can identify the, the kin group of the O'Neill and related clans back to the 400s. So that's a long ways back. But even if, and I said we're just working on what we can recognize today, as O'Neill's, we can, the, the founder of them was Neil Glendove back to the 900s. Um, now, you know, going back to the 400s, and if those accurates are, rec- are accurate, I know that's a big if, but even even if it's not, we still go back farther than most of the Scottish kindreds. So the Irish kindreds tend to be, in their identifiable form today, older than the Scottish kindreds. Another example I'll use from the Irish side is the O'Connor Don. The reason I say O'Connor Don is because the O'Connors had several different branches, like the O'Neills, like any big clan in Ireland or Scotland. You know, the McDonalds, the Campbells, the we, we see different branches of these clans who become major clans in their own right, like the McDonalds of, of Slate, the, or Clan Ushton, or the, the McDonald North. They, they claimed that branch of it actually had a made a, a pretty significant bid for the lordship of the Isles after they had that, that title had been revoked from the previous holders. And so these, these branches become their own clan, clans that are influential. So the O'Connor Dons, once again, have, have a lot of different branches, but I'm just going to stick with the, the Don branch here. They take their name from Conachur MacTigh Moore, who lived in the mid-800s. So like the O'Neills, you know, the O'Connor's namesake was a part of an older kindred, I'm not going to go into this even as much detail as I did with the O'Neills on that one, but this kindred has, they they had provided the leading dynasty of Connacht for a few hundred years before him. Anyway, so we see this the clan founder that they take their name from that we would recognize today, clear back to the 18, 800s. So that's, if you go back into Scotland, what's going on there at that time? Well, mid-800s is where you're seeing the crown of the Picts and the Scots coalesce into um, one under Kenneth McAlpin. And if you would like to study more about that, Alex Wolf and John Bannerman are some great, have written some great material on that. And it's scholarly and it's, and I'm not saying it's none of their material is undisputed, but I'm saying it's about as solid as you're going to, everybody's stuff is disputed. Everybody's. doesn't matter what scholar you go to, you're going to get somebody else that can nitpick what they've done and the conclusions that they've drawn. But those, those are two pretty solid sources there. So that's what's going on in Scotland, the, the merging of the Pictish and Dalriada thrones into one. And, and there's only maybe a couple of clans in Scotland that can go back that far. Anyway, so uh, in Ireland, it, like I said, it wasn't completely homogenous, only it was more so than Scotland, but the, they were, there were some other... People, I mentioned the, the Norse, I mentioned the, the Norman kindreds that is, get established in Ireland. But you also have, and, and I, I need to do an episode just on these guys, but you have the Galaglass, who were Scottish warriors who hired out to Irish lords or chiefs. And it was, they, were, they, had, they were so good as warriors that it becomes somewhat of a status symbol for an Irish lord to have a contingent of Galaglass in their ranks. They were heavy infantry. They were they were f- really well armed. They, ha- they would usually have mail coats, big axes, or big swords. They'd usually have a few attendants um, helping carry weapons and stuff. But these guys were 
they, they would you wherever the fighting was the hottest, you could usually find find these guys swinging away. Um, kindreds that had, like I said, these are Scottish in origin, and they mostly came from the Western Highlands and Isles. And they had been established in Ireland since about the 1300s-ish. You know, you might be able to push it back a little farther than that, but 1300s is safe. And I'll just mention a couple of clans that were Galaglass clans. You have the McDonald's. Now, the McDonald clan in Scotland, the Lords of the Isles, the at one point, the most powerful kindred in Scotland, they, through marriage to a Bissett heiress, in Northern Ireland, gained some territory there, and they became, they gained quite a foothold there. So this is this is long before the plantation of Ulster by King James the Sixth of Scotland, first of being of anyway by that guy. This is long before he started his plantation in Ulster. You have these Scots, and you, mostly under the Macdonald leadership, gaining territory there within Northern Ireland, and they became a major player within what's going on in Northern Ireland during that time period. And they introduce a lot of warriors. So a lot of these Galaglass warriors coming in are McDonald's. Um, they, anyway, they have, they have their own really interesting history there. The other kindred I want to mention there is are the McSweeney's. Now, they come from the McSweeney's in in Scotland, who are very well established there in, in the Southwest Hebrides, or the Southern Hebrides, I should say, and they had they had three significant castles. In fact, Castle, um, the Castle Sween, I believe, is one of the oldest stone castles in in Scotland. Anyway, that was one of theirs. But they sided with the wrong party in the War of Scottish Independence. They sided against Bruce and lost a lot of their territory and influence when he became the King of Scotland. So you see them in large numbers pushing into Ireland and hiring out as Galaglass warriors, and they become an actual Irish kindred because one of the ways that Irish lords would reward these Galaglass warriors was with land, and so they would become established there. Now, those two, the McDonald's and the McSweeney's, are not the... And I think in Scotland they're more... You use the term McSween. But the in, in Ireland they, they become their own kindred, are known today mostly as McSweeney's, but so you have those; those are two examples, McDonald's and McSweeney's. Of, of um, you, you have McDougals. In fact, you have a version of their name, McDowell, that b- becomes more popular amongst the the Galaglass Irish settled branch of that family. But there, and there were more, but those are just a few examples. So just know that that's going on in Ireland, and so for their origins, you have to go back to Scotland. All right, so Irish clans tend to be the oldest, if, from from what I can tell, as in the in the recognizable form today. Okay, so who let's let's just go back to Scotland. Within the groups in Scotland, who tends to be the oldest? It's interesting because the Normans, relative latecomers, most of the Normans came into Scotland in the 1100s. But they came in a lot of them. There's exceptions, but a lot of them came in with their surnames already into Scotland, and because those surnames were fixed, even though even though the native Gallic kindreds were there earlier. A lot of them did not have a fixed surname that we would identify today, and these Normans did. And, and I'll give you a few examples of, of on that side. But so within Scotland, as a group, the Normans tend to have the oldest surnames. So an ex- examples: you got Lindsay's, which is Lindsay 
is an English place name where they lived before they became established in Scotland. They probably entered Scotland with David I, and they were one of the kindreds that had lands in both realms during the Scottish War of Independence and lost their English lands because they sided with Scotland. And then, so, and they become, the Lindsays originally are established in, in Ayrshire, but I think where they, where they became also, they become pretty influential in the northeast of Scotland in the, along the, the east coast, up more toward Aberdeen. And then another example I want to give you of Norman clans, that their surname dates back to the 1100s, are the Montgomerys. The Montgomerys originally come from Wales to Scotland in the 1100s as vassals of the Fitzalans, and I'll talk about them in a second. They take their surname from their lands in Wales, and so they may not have had this surname as they left Normandy, assuming that they were Normans who had left Normandy. They did not, because they were to acquire this name of Montgomery from Wales, leaving Normandy, they didn't have the surname, as some did. But they had it coming into Scotland in the 1100s. So by the time they get to Scotland in the 1100s, they've already got this surname. Now, I didn't read, I couldn't read anything on the Montgomerys, and, and Montgomerys, like I usually tend to do, if I have a certain, uh, an episode that's highlighting certain kindreds or certain clans, I try to reach out to that Facebook page and leave them a post or a link or something that they can go and, you know, something that's, that's in it for them. So, um, I just want you to know that um, if, if, any, if there's any Montgomerys out there that can correct me on this and have a lot more information, that would be awesome. Because, once again, the Montgomerys just are just an example here. I did not, all my study and preparation for this episode was not on the Montgomery kindred. But I couldn't see anywhere on the Montgomerys that, that where it, they were for sure came out of Normandy. All right, sorry folks, there's a little break in... In, uh, in that right there, I had a, a phone call I had to take, but as I try to get back on track and collect my thoughts here, I was talking about Montgomery's. Now, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I couldn't find anywhere. That I just, all I found is that they came out of Wales as vassals of the Fitzalans into Scotland. I could not find anything ordered. They, for all I know, they might have been Welshmen, but I don't know. They're, they're usually claimed as, an, as, as a Norman clan. And so that's how I'm going to count them today. They're Normans. They came into Scotland. 1100s already had a surname. And that's the important part and what I'm trying to get at here is that they already have, their surname goes back to at least the 1100s. And I don't know how far where they first picked up the name Montgomery. Did they, were they called Montgomery because they came away from Montgomery? Because some of these, and this goes for surnames, not just Scottish clans all over, they became known as that after they left their home, were living in someplace foreign, and because they came from that particular location, they gained a surname for that, so they didn't actually start getting called that until they had left home and settled someplace new. And I don't know if that's the case with the Montgomerys. Once again, reach out to the Montgomerys. Guys, help me out. If, I, if, if we can add a little further material in here, I'd be glad to do it. All right, so an exception to this Norman idea here. I mentioned the Fitzalans, who brought the Montgomerys with them as they came into Scotland. They, this family became to occupy the position of steward in the, the, the royal center of Scotland, which eventually was Edinburgh, wasn't at first, but, but that's where they, they, they have this very high position, and they take their name from, so instead of Fitzalan as, a, as an actual fixed kindred identifying name, 
They eventually adopt the name of the post that this group held, kind of like in the same way that um, Butler, the name Butler would, would have. If, especially if you were the butler for a very influential or very high-ranking family, that would be a mark of pride that you held that position within this, this home. Same with the stewards. And so they came, they, the kindred comes to call themselves Stuart, deriving from steward. And that's where we get the, the kindred that would later provide many monarchs for Scotland and eventually England as well. So, so uh, their, their surname did not develop until they'd already reached and became established in Scotland. So they're an exception to this Norman thing. Um, the Normans, we might also make a brief comment about the Normans in Ireland. Some of the, some of the kindreds that you'll find there would be Norman kindreds. I mentioned earlier you have Fitzgerald, Burke, um, Butler, not just a, an English name, but that Butlers were a kindred that eventually moved over to Ireland and became very powerful there as well. The, it's interesting how the, when you look at the different places within the British Isles, how the Normans come to be established there, because it's different depending on where you are. And so, so this, if you, hold, if you have a name that goes back to Norman origins, this might be a little t- interesting tidbit of information for you. And, and a, lot of, a lot of our Scottish clans do, and I didn't give a comprehensive list of Norman clans, but um, if you want to, I have an earlier episode where you can go back and, and I give a little bit more information on that. But you have, in England, the Normans forced their way in. They fought Harold Godwinson and his Anglo-Saxon army that had just barely been victorious against Vikings at the Battle of Stamford Bridge farther in the north, north in England. They, they hoof it south as hard as they can go because they hear about this other force that's coming in. And they fight William the Conqueror at the Battle of Hastings, but they lose there. And that's a really interesting battle tactics-wise. I'm a military guy, and, and I've, I've done a little bit of formal studying of, of tactics, and that, that's a really interesting battle. However, the, the Normans forced their way in to England. And, but in, in Scotland... A hundred years later, they're largely invited in. And, and it wasn't all under one monarch, although David I, King of Scotland, sticks out in my head as, as a, a person who was very welcoming to Normans to come north with him. As A lot of them helped him gain his throne back. He was actually in exile in England, and they helped him gain the throne back. And he showed his appreciation by giving lands and titles to these people who had helped him out and had been good to him while he lived in exile in England. So they get invited into Scotland. Wales, you know, and, and my surname is a Welsh surname, and this is kind of, I've got a lot of spot in my heart for Wales. But Wales, they get established in certain parts of Wales more than others, and, and you have the, the marcher lords there, and that's kind of an interesting period of history. But the, there is some very violent conflict between the Welsh and the Normans. And then there was also intermarrying and some cultural exchange going on there too, but it was it was not quite the open door that Scotland was for the Normans. And then Ireland, Ireland's kind of like a mix. In in Ireland, the Normans were invited by Dermot McMurrah into the Kingdom of Leinster, which is the Kingdom of Ireland. Ireland's divided into Mead in central, Ulster in the north. Connacht in the west and Munster in the southwest and Leinster in the southeast. So you had those five provinces or kingdoms of Ireland. The, the Dermot McMurrah was the king of Leinster. 
my and like I have not studied this as deep as some of these other things. I'm just trying to give like the very, very, very introductory version of this. Um, he he is deposed from his throne, goes to Engl- England, and says, "Hey, can you give me some guys to go? I'll get my land back." The guy that comes with him is um, Richard Declare Strongbow. Strongbow is the name that sticks out to me. Hopefully, I didn't get his 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 original name wrong. But he's offered Dermot's daughter Eva her hand in marriage and land, and he br- grabs a bunch of his adventurous buddies, and they come in and they they. Uh, they so they're welcomed into Leinster, but the rest of Ireland they've got to fight their way into. So they're kind of a mix there as far as whether they're invited or had to fight their way in. And so and you'll and if you study that history, you'll see these these surnames of uh, these Norman surnames more. And that's when they get established there. And it's roughly once again that is in the the uh, second half of the 1100s that that's happening. So kind of the same time as they're moving into Scotland, only the experience is a lot different. All right, so. Let's talk about the Gallic clans of, of Scotland, the ones who's, who come from a, a native background, a native Gallic background specifically. I found that most of those clans, in the form that we would recognize them today, don't go back farther than the 1200s. So it's, they're, in their recognizable form today, they're a few hundred years earlier than the Irish clans and maybe one to 200 years newer than the Norman clans. So they let me I just want to acknowledge that this is this is a records issue in Scotland. There are there are records being kept and there it's not like there's no records that you can look at. But they're especially on a local level, they're not as detailed and they, they don't help us as well. Although in some cases and some kindreds they're very well developed and it's and it's very solid but even in those cases and let me use the McFarlands as an example of what I'm talking about here the McFarlands are a native Gallic kindred now and and they're and it's pretty well recorded so this is not a, a, a paucity of of records that they that we can't push them back farther it's just that they don't go farther back than the 1200s as McFarlands the McFarlands were descended from a younger brother of Muldownach. I sure hope I did. Muldownach? Maldouin is how you see see it in some sources. That's the English version of it. But Muldownach is a Earl of Lennox, his younger brother. That's who the McFarlands are descended from. And, and this is in, in the first half of the 1200s. So, yes, it's very well documented. We, and from this, and, and from, I think his name was Gilchrist, you this younger brother and his grandson was Parlin. And so the, the genitive form, the showing possession of Parlin would be Mac. So Mac, son of, showing possession, genitive. Mac Farlin is where, so Parlin is a grandson of this and, and a great, a great nephew of Mildonach. So this group splits off from the, from the lines of the Earls of Lennox and they, they get established on the northwestern shore of Loch Lomond very well documented, but it doesn't go back farther than the first half of the 1200s. <coughs> Excuse me. So, <clears throat> another kindred that I might mention, and this this is a really interesting kindred, and I'd like to do a few future episode just on this kindred. I'm talking about the Mackenzies. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Agnes McKinnick, the uh, 
the the scholar at the University of Glasgow. Um, he's written a, he's done some actually really really interesting scholarly work on this clan. In fact, I wish all clans could have a member of them that that is a professional historian. And because here's guys here's here's what I see a lot of in the sources of Scottish clans. I see a lot of non-scholarly work basically that's how i'm going to put it it's non-scholarly sources aren't cited it's not approached like a scholar it's not approached like okay scholar the way scholars write and this is one one reason that sometimes academia and i'm not talking about any specific scholar um by name i'm just saying academic writing in general tends to be dry and the reason is because these people are having to write such a, they're trying to write as much of a watertight argument as possible. It's going to hold. It's going to hold up under scrutiny of other professional historians tr- poking holes in it. And, and it's not like the historians are all out to eat each other. It's, but it's, if you notice a flaw in an argument, these, these are peer-reviewed articles that they're writing in this community of, of academia. And in a, 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 the goal of a person writing a review, a peer review for another scholar on their article is not to promote them. It's to give an honest, objective assessment of their work. And if there are logical flaws in the conclusions conclusions they've drawn, if they have not used their sources correctly, if they are not aware of what sources there are out there, then then those th- that's gonna it's not gonna show up well in the review that's written about that article. And so when they have to write these things, they have to be super backed up. And they have to say what the what the sources this is something that's weird about history. You know, math, 2 plus 2 is going to be 4. But in history, it's only as good as your sources, and it changes depending on new developments. And, and how did they use their sources? Did they use them well? And what I, what I read, and what, it was a frustration of mine working on my master's thesis, is there's a lot of sources out there, but very few of them are written to a scholarly standard. And in, in the case of the Mackenzies, they have the advantage of having Agnes Mechanic, who is writing material on this clan because he's one of them and and he does some some great work and he's he has some clout amongst his his peers in the scholarly community now he wrote uh, an article it's called Kingus Rabellus to Cudichinri the emergence of clan Hinich circa 1475 to 1508 that's the name of the article and it has a he goes he dives into the origins of the clan Mackenzie, and there's a lot of different stuff, even some old stuff that's been written on the Mackenzies, but it's been written by Mackenzies, which is not in and of itself a fault. But and I've seen this with with different clans and their own writings about themselves. There's a, in the exception of professional scholars, a significant amount of bias injected in there, and. And that's that's not true of one specific clan. That's that's just a human tendency. And when I was doing my master's degree, I had to have a whole class on how we handled. Anyway, okay. So in this article, we have this. Uh, well, it's kind of got a long title, but this one that I mentioned earlier by Ennis Ennis McKinnick. He um, he rejects the Mackenzies have a origin legend that they descended from the Fitzgeralds, actually, that I mentioned earlier, when these Normans that were established in Ireland, they have earlier origin traditions that 
spring out of the, that say that their founder was a Colin Fitzgerald that came from Ireland. And McKinnick, he refutes that, that legend, says that's, there's probably no substance to that. In fact, he's not the only scholar that, that does not go along with that. There have been a few histories written about the clan, McKenzie, but they have this, they're, like I mentioned earlier, they were written by McKenzie's and have this bias in there, and they're trying to paint this clan in a certain light. In fact, McKinnick deals with that, how they're trying to portray themselves, um, especially in relation to the Lordship of the Isles, which the McKenzie's were recognizing became the boogeyman of the Scottish crown at a certain period of time and did their best to distance themselves from that influence, where in reality they were not quite the stalwart opposition to the Lords of the Isles throughout their whole history. Now, the Mackenzies do become a very pro-government clan. It's interesting that the Campbells catch all this heat about siding with the government, and they seem to be kind of singled out more so than anybody else. And I don't know if it's because they were more powerful than everybody else, but there were other clans that were whose chiefs were developed a very pro central government lean and and are not they they don't haven't acquired the same stain from that amongst other clans that the Campbells did. The Mackenzies are one of them. The Mackenzies become a very pro government clan later in their history. And uh, you can read more about that, but their their origins it's it's anything farther back than 1475. It's tough to to pin down. They probably do go back farther than that, even as Mackenzies, but it's hard to find it. Anyway, so there's there's a couple of examples of the, the native Gaelic clans that that it's it's hard, and, and even when the records are good, they just don't go back farther than the 1200s. Even who they claim as their their ancestor, their that they take their name from that person lived, assuming that they're an historical person that we can actually pin down in records, a lot of them actually live in the 1200s. So they don't, even when records are good, they don't go back that, that far. And so, so I guess what I'm saying is, just to sum that whole part up in a, in a concise statement, the, the native Gallic clans, in their recognizable form today in Scotland, mostly don't go back past the 1200s. Now, like I said, I'm, I'm just talking about trends here. I'm not talking about hard and fast rules, and I'll give you exceptions to that. Um, I'll give you a couple of them. We have the the clans that descend from Summerlid. Summerlid was large and in charge in the 1100s, and from him we get the McRory's who have kind of faded out. We don't see a lot of... Uh, of they they kind of disappear, and the reason why that, as I mentioned this in a previous podcast or a previous episode is that they were absorbed into Clan Ranald, a branch of the McDonald's, who were another Summerlid clan. So you had the McRory's, the McDougal's, and the McDonald's, and the branch that becomes the, the Clan Ranald branch, you see um, Anya McRory, who was the heiress of the McRory's, married a McDonnell, and he inherited all that she brought with her as the heiress, and then kicked her to the curb and married into the Stuart family. And that was another step up, but it doesn't say well of his character or, um, and, and for the McRory's, it was a loss. But the McRory's, they, they kind of are represented in history by the McDonald's of Clan Ronald because that was, 
that was Anya's kids, that the the Lord of the Isles and, and Anya McRory, their kids, um, one of them was Ranel, and you have the clan Ranel that comes through him. And so he he's, the clan Ranel McDonald's, if you look at their tor- territory, that was the McRory territory. So, and that's, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that, but that's a, an overall statement. So you have these three clans, McRory's, McDougal's, and McDonald's, who their founding person is in the 1100s. So they're an exception. They go back a little bit farther. Even though, I mean, you could still say that the people that those clans actually take their names from and become recognizable by, you're still pushing almost to the 1200s, if not actually in the 1200s. Another clan that would be an exception to this, uh, that, that pushes back a little farther than a lot of the other native Gaelic clans are the Mackays. Mackay, if you're in America, or in some spots, Mackie. But um, in, I believe over in Scotland, it's, it's Mackay. They're descended from a group of guys that you can see in the history who are, it's usually spelled Macheth, M-A-C-H-E-T-H, Macheth. Now that's just... An, uh, an English way of spelling and the old, old Gallic name, I or I'd, and and that's where you get Mackay from. It's like, I think the spelling's A-O-I-D-H, which to an English speaker and looking and reader, looking at that name, you're just like, what in the world? Where do I even start with this? But, um, the, you, so the Macheth, that's, and the Heth was a, kind of an English way of, of saying that. Once again, we just don't even know where to start there. So you get Macheth, and they were a thorn in the side of the Scottish crowns in the 1100s. And, and it's, they're already a kindred name in the 1100s. There's a lot of debate as to their origins, like who they were before this. They were possibly of the kindred of the Mormares of Ross, which is originally part of Murray, which Mormares claim descent from Canal Lorne making the kindred traceable back as far as many of the Irish clans mentioned earlier. But even if that's not true, the Mackays are as old as a lot of the Norman kindreds going back to the, with a fixed surname to the 1100s. All right, another and one more uh, Gallic exception of being old are the Macduffs, the Earls of Fife. There's a great chapter on this clan in Bannerman's book, Kindred, Culture, and Community which is a collection of, of writings of, of Bannermans. And the book, the book isn't mentioned in the Wikipedia article, which is a huge mistake, because if you are any, at all connected to these Macduff Earls of Fife and you want to learn about this, this is a great source, great article. Uh, Bannerman argues that the Macduffs, who were closely connected by blood to the kings of Alaba, were becoming recognizable under that name as early as the late 900s, early 1000s. Once again, this looks like the Irish timetables for clan origins. The parallels with the Irish timelines increase when we consider that as the Macduffs were of the same kindred as the kings of Alaba, along with Pictish ancestry, they could also claim descent from Canal Navrine, or the, the seed of Gabran, a ruling kindred from the old Gallic kingdom of Dalriada, whose founder, Gabran, lived during the mid-500s, so they say. So... Their their history looks like a lot more like the the Irish kindreds, where it's traceable back to, you know, the one the ten hundreds, maybe even back to the nine hundreds, as far as the actual person you're taking your name from, and then as a part of an earlier kindred farther back than that. All right, that's all I've got for you today, as far as the origins. Those are some of my observations that I've I've noticed from 
from uh, my doing these little projects, which I like I mentioned are not finished projects yet, but I'm starting to n- notice these trends emerge as I go farther and farther along with this. So I appreciate you listening with me today. Um, I do also want to make one comment about my previous episode, the the with the about the guns and the Keiths, the feud that they had. So the, for, I guess this is my anytime you put your voice out there, your ideas. Uh, you, some people are going to sharpshoot them. Now, I don't mind getting sharp shot. Is that, is that the way you would say that? Anyway, I don't mind that. Um, I, I, I know that that's a part of putting your ideas out there. Here's one recommendation I would, I would ask of you. And, and once again, I have on numerous occasions welcomed feedback, even constructive criticism. If I got something wrong, let me know. Here's what I ask, though. Be nice about it. There's no reason to be mean. And you would think that after that episode on the guns and the Keiths, that somewhere in that episode I assaulted the honor of the gun clan. Now, I'm not making a comment about every single feedback I've got, but there are three, four-ish people who were very unkind with the way that they, they, they spoke about that information. Now, I want to say that one of them, and I'm not going to mention anybody by name because that's not my point here to call people out. I just, just want to establish a, a productive dialogue between me and my listeners. Um, one of them did come back, apologized, and then, was, and then offered me sources and say, here's where I'm, here's where I'm going to. And, 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 that, and that's, that's more what I'm talking about. The, the other three, they just, uh, kind of the tone was, this is stupid. And you're a bad historian. And I calmly and politely asked them to correct me and show me specifically what I got wrong. I have yet to hear back from any of them on that account. And so, um, you know, in that episode, the guns, the guns, and I go more into detail on it, but the guns lose a couple fights with the Keiths. None of it reflects poorly on the guns, nor do I think I portrayed them in an unflattering way. You had one instance where the Keiths, who are wondering whether they're going to be able to take the guns in a head-on fight by themselves, invite the Mackays from Strathnaver, who reach out to connections they have in Ascent with the McLeods there. And so you have these three clans rallying together, ganging up on the guns, and the guns lose. They lose a fight. There's no, that doesn't portray the guns poorly. And and in fact, I do, I did mention that the guns took a chunk out of the opposing force there is as outnumbered as they were. And the other occasion where the guns lose, once again, they are outnumbered. They agreed to meet at a chapel called St. Tears or St. Tear. It depends on the source you're looking at. And the guns get there first. The, gre- the agreement was, hey, the goal, let's put this feud to rest, shall we? Shall we just work some stuff out like, like men? So let's, let's have this meeting at this chapel, and no, no side is allowed to drink, bring more than 12 horse. And that was the that was the criteria. This that was the standard. Well, the guns get there first. They're observing their spiritual inclinations there in the chapel when the Keiths ride up, and who had held to the whole twelve horse rule, but had put two guys on every horse. So they outnumbered the guns two to one, and the guns the guns get get wiped out basically now in that fight they extinguished almost all of the keiths outnumbered 2 to 1 and they still almost kill all of their opponents now 
and I don't want to glory in bloodshed here. The only, the only discrepancy I could find with one of the sources that was offered to me, I couldn't find any major discrepancy or anything huge thing I got wrong about the guns. But um, there's one source I found that says one of the guns survived. It was the chief's son, and he, ma- and he made it out to seek revenge. I will tell you, though, just so you know, other sources say it was a grandson that wasn't there, whose name was James, who did seek retribution and killed that Keith chief and a bunch of his best men in revenge. And from that James, a lot of the subsequent gun chiefs took the name McCamish, which means son of James, so in, in a style that was common in the Highlands. Anyway, if you got feedback, if you got corrections, I am, I'm asking for it. I'm not just okay with it. I'm asking for it. But just be nice. I'm not out here to get anybody. I'm not out here to get the guns. I love the guns. I love the Keiths. I'm passionate and fascinated with all the Scottish clans. And so I also do want to mention that I have received several um, requests for future episodes on certain clans. I've re- received requests on the Murrays, on the McThomases, on the Craigs, on the Campbell versus Sinclair altercation at Altamarlach. Um, I, I just want you to know that I am interested in your clan, and, and I will be taking these requests I- into serious consideration as I prepare future episodes. So I appreciate that. Keep on responding. If you've got a, uh, any feedback or dialogue or anything you want to talk about, I've got a Facebook page at... Uh, it's called the Scottish Clans. The title of it, the actual URL, it would be facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland is where you do that. Also, you can leave me feedback on iTunes to leave a review, not not just stars, which I, I hope hope for the stars, but the um, in more the, in more ways than one. But actual written review of the podcast, share it whether it's iTunes, Spotify, whatever other forum you. If you actually go into the Podbean app and doing this, share this share this podcast with somebody that you think would be interested in it leave me the feedback i once again i'm not getting paid to do this i'm doing it for i I thought about maybe monetizing this in the future but for now i'm just um just doing this to nerd out with people who don't mind me nerding out with them and who also may want to nerd out on this particular subject my my wife bless her heart she's she's a good sport but she doesn't have the passion for the subject that i have and so and I'm just reaching out to people so I can talk about this. So thank you for listening with me today. I hope you have a great day. Until later, goodbye for now.